This is the Land and Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, well, we're back. Back in action. Matt, uh, you've been doing a bunch of different stuff, but when's your next trip? Uh, next trip is going to be uh, early next week um, up to North Missouri. I've got a couple little odds and end projects around, kind of around our area, some check-ins and stuff I need to do, but next week, uh, bigger trip, let's say, is, is North yeah. Missouri. Gotcha. I, th- I think I'm Kansas is my next one. Yeah, I got Kansas. We both have a project middle of the week. Um, and then we're off to the races. I've got a couple the- in Kansas. Then Oklahoma. I'm headed west a lot. Um, yeah. Not not the, uh, the complete far west that I tend to love, but still west. West is uh, is a good location if you're in the whitetail world. Um, yeah, Kansas and Oklahoma, um, man, they're fun to work. There's some really neat stuff that happens out there, and any chance that we get to go westward um, is definitely fun. I think majority of the time, it's not always true, but majority of the time, seems like you kind of leave invasives behind to an extent of like, holy cow, we're just inundated and you get more into some native ecosystems that are just a few short years, some burns away from being fantastic. To me, it's like a 180 flop where <laughs> sometimes you go east and you can be like, you know, once we remove the invasives, there's going to be 30% of the what we currently see is going to be remaining, uh, the remainder of, of plants here. But then you, when you go to places in Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, parts of the Midwest, depending on the property, and you'd be like, wow. 80% of this is still really, really good, native, diverse, and there's just a few little patches of, of invasives we need to get rid of, and that's why we like West so well, um, because the workload isn't nearly as bad generally. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I know it's, uh, and we're rolling into, it, although the weather has been strange, speaking of 180 flops, yeah. December the last several years has been, I said, so mild that you might as well consider it a fall month uh, and just like a nice, a nice dormant month, like just not, not, not too crazy. And then December was horrible, super cold. But then January is unbelievably warm and nice. I hate to say it because I like winter. But when you have cows and you're short on grass and you're short on hay, you're a little bit like, yeah, I'll take a mild winter for sure. Yeah, 67 a day out walking. And I think it got down. I don't even know, honestly, if it if it dipped down into the 40s last night. Just this weird, balmy, almost like late March feeling type day. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very foggy in the mornings and heavy dews at night. And just overall, I mean... Every day I look to see what the next day brings on the extended forecast, and I'm like, it's over 50, and the and the lows in the 30s. Like, you don't even have to, you don't even have to put a heat lamp in the chicken house on this no. stuff. No, I 
honestly, November, between November and December, um, way colder than average. And then you hit January. It's like, my gosh, it's just balmy and warm, wet. It's weird. It's a mud fest. That's what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of pl- this is mud season came early for a lot of farms, and not not that we're out of the freezing winter stuff by any stretch of imagination, but it's just this weird break in it. Um, and so, oh well, it's mud season. Yeah, um, but speaking of which, when it gets cold and warm, and um, and as we're preparing for consulting season, I want to shout out one of our partners that helps support Land Legacy Podcast, and that's Vortex Optics. Of course, we all know them for their awesome optics and their amazing warranty, but they also have a great lineup of apparel, hats. Uh, the outerwear is unbelievable. Um, I tend to find myself wearing it even to church. Uh, so from the consulting field to the church pew, even though our church doesn't have pews anymore, it's just chairs. From the, from the field to the pew, um, Vortex Optics and Vortex Apparel. And you can get a 20% discount for using the promo code Legacy 20. Um, we spent a lot of time recently, um, not just on the podcast, but even more time behind the scenes talking about winter projects with clients, winter projects with our listeners, and, and all the different stuff that's got, that we've got going on. And this is the time of year we spend so much time talking about timber, talking about thinning timber, cutting timber, logging. Uh, there's going to be a portion of our property log this probably hopefully this well as of right now being mud season i hope it's not this month i hope it freezes back up before they roll in but um, logging and um, all things timber so that's going to be the topic of this week's podcast um, as we kind of sandwich ourselves between multiple podcasts talking about timber yeah i think i think this is coming at a really good time um just last week or two weeks ago, we did the podcast on betting thickets, the how-to, and just try to really simplify that down and kind of continuing with that theme with, so, with TSI, FSI, timber harvest um, on a lot of people's brains. Let's talk about them when it's hot. And it gives us that other additional ability to talk about the differences, the, almost the compare and contrast of, of TSI, what that means in comparison to a bedding thicket and what a bedding thicket means in comparison to TSI, because although you're both dealing with timber and cutting timber um, and chainsaws and herbicide, um, the end result of what it looks like and who it benefits and what it serves, the purpose that it serves and where it's located, they're totally different. So we have to distinguish, although they may to an untrained ear seem similar, they're different. The, and, and this is kind of stirring from many conversations and threads and different things I've seen. But one of the big ones that has kind of hit me lately is the division or lack of understanding of different of varying opinions. Um, there's guys that we know that comment on our on our Land and Legacy Habitat podcast Q and A. Facebook group. If you're not a member, go join it. There's been a lot of really good conversations happening there. There's been some good conversations happening on, I think Kyle and the other, other people we know kind of formed up the native habitat managers page. There's been a lot of good conversations happening there. And frankly, all the other ones I see on social media (laughs) are uninteresting, but, um, 
and the, the, the big varying opinion is hinge cutting. And there's guys in the north who swear by it, and they're like, man, this is why we love hinge cutting. And then there's just the all-out assault from guys in the south saying, you know, this is terrible. Why would you ever do that? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, man, everybody needs to understand that you don't manage in Michigan the same way you manage in South Carolina. You don't manage in Arkansas the same way you manage in Wisconsin. And I think that is comes down to some of the biggest uh, arguments that I see break out. It's just the lack of understanding that you don't manage the same way across the board. And even so, you don't you don't even get the same food plot response, the same climate if you plant. I think that so many times I see guys in the south envious of people in the north, northern climate because their brassicas don't look like the guys up there. And I'm like, it's a different climate. They're way more suited to have wonderful brassicas. And so with all that happening, it kind of piqued my, I guess, uh, bubble and mind to go, you know what? We need to talk a little bit about the variance in timber cutting if the goal is bedding and and why – we choose to use all of them. We choose to use hinge cutting. We choose to use high hinge cutting. We choose to use flush cutting. We choose to use a lot of herbicide if, if the site requires it. We choose to use hack and squirt. We choose to use girdle and spray. There's not one that I hold near and dear on the pedestal above all the others. And so the many only times. On a pedestal is fire, which is the maintenance tool, right? Yeah. All the other, like, techniques they they're have kind of they're kind of lumped into one to me yeah, yeah. it's like t- cutting timber one thinning timber that's in that's all in the same one that's all in the same bubble and it's on a pedestal and prescribed fire is on another pedestal and there's very few things that make it to that pedestal but that is one of them and so um you know when with with this topic of discussion you and frank just uh, recorded one, Matt. I'm not sure if it's going to drop before or after this. Somewhere yep. in the middle, it will be sandwiched in between you and Brady. And um, then you and I did the topic uh, a couple weeks ago about betting thickets. And yep. it, it kind of led me into this direction of saying, we need to talk about TSI and logging operations and betting thicket creation and hinge cutting and yes, they sound like the same thing, but they're not in comparison to how people use them. And so, and talk about how they are, um, can be used to benefit your hunting strategy and diversify your farm. So here we are. We're going to kick it off to the races. Do it. One thing that we have talked now over 500 episodes from the beginning, we've talked about bedding thickets. And it's probably one of the biggest things that people ask us about and comment about is, you know, how to create them, where we place them, how do we manage them, all things bedding thickets. <clears throat> and within that, it's pretty obvious by the name what our goal is with that. But then... The name, name fits. It's not that and, super creative, but literally... The purpose there and and what you're creating is descriptive in the thicket part, and we're trying to get deer to bed there. It's a bedding thicket. Exactly. I mean, we couldn't name it anything better, I don't think, um, besides bedding area, but then it's too vague. And it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's a thicket. So it's a thicket that deer bed in. And 
I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that what that thicket actually looks like. And so I wanted to break down some scenarios on, on the podcast this week to help you guys understand how to diversify your farm and not get carried away with one practice. So, and, and so uh, for one of the biggest reasons in this is guys will ask us, I feel like we have our foot in multiple camps here when we say, when we start talking about native landscape as a deer hunter, because there's native and you'll find this on even native habitat managers. There's many people that are all about native landscapes, native plants, native animals and managing for them and they don't necessarily see eye to eye with deer hunters and the way deer hunters decide to manage their properties and this is where for us we try to blend the two and and so tsi comes up a lot of times with people saying well that's where my deer are bedding and and so timber stand improvement as well Let's just say Kyle and uh, Frank and Matt's is going to release before this, Matt. We just made that decision so people can hear that one. All right. And so that one that Matt and Frank did last week discussed the varying types of TSI. And within that, you guys discussed light, medium, heavy TSI. So, you know, you're thinning timber out. Um, you just want to try to get some more sunlight, but you're not getting carried away. So you're light TSI because um, it's an east slope or north slope. Or it's really chocked full of bad stuff. We're going to get very heavy. If all the timber in the neighborhood is closed canopy hardwoods, and there's been very little logging in the area, and you just go in and you TSI this 50-acre block, that is likely going to now be the bedding area for that portion of the neighborhood. Just because it's better quality cover than the surrounding area. Not saying it's great quality, but it's better quality. And so many times we see that with landowners and making very one-dimensional observations when they go out and do a project and they say, well, that's fantastic. That's good. Well, it doesn't mean that it's the great and the very best that it can be. It just means that it's better than what is occurring elsewhere. I think most importantly, people see that it has attributes of what great quality bedding cover consists of. So mm -hmm. it has parts, it has fractions, it has, um, you know, aspects of what bedding quality, good quality, you know, bedding areas, the bedding thickets that we're trying to create, it has portions of that. There are some similarities and crossovers, but when you do a direct comparison between a medium thinning and closed canopy timber, well, yeah, of course it's preferred, it's better, but then when you compare medium TSI to a bedding thicket, you're, you're improving that much more, right? So like, let's just say a medium TSI from a closed canopy to a bedding thicket is 50-50 right in the middle. You're 50%, right? But take it to the other degree and go the other 50%. Imagine if your farm went another 50% essentially is what we're saying on quality of cover and pinpointing where deer are. And then when they get up, there's just obnoxious amounts of food everywhere for them to thrive. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about from a... Think about it standpoint. for sure. I mean, we've used the egg analogy many times that the yolk is your bedding thicket and the white is your TSI area surrounding it. And it's comfort cover surrounding dense bedding cover. 
the reason Rebounds. why we don't like the 50 acre, and I'm just going to use that one because that's a good or that's a good number for people to kind of think about. If you had 50 acres and you TSI the whole thing with a medium, you know, you open it up 40 to 60% canopy. So we know we're getting a lot more debris on the ground. Yep. We're just going to assume that we're going to use prescribed fire. So it's going to take a couple of fires, less than 10 years, and a majority of those treetops um, that we did cut down are going to be burned up. So the cover is going to be consisting of the regeneration from what's on the forest floor. So there's adequate cover, but the large woody debris and the structure isn't going to be there. But because of that regrowth, deer can bed there and prefer that over closed canopy leaves and sticks on the neighboring farms. So that 50 acres, if it is all bedding, it gets very difficult to choose which side of that 50 acres or which portion you need to be sticking your nose in to hunt because you don't know if they're on this acre or that acre or 45 acres away from you moving during daylight. And that can yeah. cause problems. That basically means that you're going to have to put more days in the stand because you're playing it off of by chance. And that's where, ooh, it can get difficult. If you've done 200 acres of TSI, you did 50 this year, 50 next year, 50 next year, 50 next year, and on down the line to where you've done the whole place, but you've done it all the exact same, you drastically improved the habitat and the diversity on your farm to have great, better summer forage, better winter forage, but you didn't improve your hunting strategy other than increasing the chances that those deer are going to be spending daylight hours on your farm because you've improved it with a thinning. And that's where, okay, identifying how to improve the habitat is great, but identifying how to improve the habitat and your hunting is where we really thrive in our business. Yeah. And, and I think that people mis misunderstand that, right. When they're talking about, okay, doing the TSI, maybe they don't have a lot of experience doing it. And they think that, right. Any, any amount of debris structure that's placed in the ground is then going to constitute as bedding. <clears throat> but when you, when you go forth and you really start seeing how woody structure is important, and then you follow up with a burn and you burned up all the stuff that you put down well ding 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 you didn't put down enough like that wasn't even adequate in the first place if one year later you burn and it's gone like yeah. that was that sign that okay everything else around you is really super poor quality you have got to cut more i was on i was on site today at a place and it was a kind of a northern facing slope so held a lot of moisture and uh, unfortunately there was quite a bit of spice bush and mixed in with that autumn olive and mm. from a deer's perspective yeah it was like okay they're recognizing that as structural and cover on that north slope um then we drove past a portion of it that had some cedars that had fallen over from like wind throw i said stop right there look at the structure of the cedar that has lost all its needles that's dead and laying on the ground and then compare it to the autumn, autumn olive and spice bush. I said, really, from a deer's perspective, they look at all three of those species roughly the same. It's just woody structure. Like, it's not anything really different because they're not foraging on, on that stuff, not food. And yeah. it's like the, the, the realization of, oh, wow. Like, that's, 
if, if you can compare a cedar skeleton that's laid on the ground to other woody plants as your as your structure that not forage like that's that's something wrong there with the management of what's happening what's occurring like you can create more forage out of all this <clears throat> at the end of the day yeah and i think one of my biggest arguments in this is if overall we'll just use a s- simple one to scale a one to ten scale um just for simplicity's sake and say that on a scale of one to ten the area is currently closed canopy hardwoods with a few little pockets that may have some cedars or whatever where it's not really preferred. We're going to give it a one. And this is where some people can start to see the change and think that they're making huge strides. If they went in and tee aside that 50 acres now and bumped it up to a five or a six, yes, it means it's better than that one that's on the neighboring farms but you can, don't stop at six, don't stop at five, try to get it to a nine or a 10. And that's where on a scale of one to 10 from what is quality dense bedding that's going to hold deer during daylight hours, during the heat of gun season, when there's most pressure on the, on the, on the neighborhood, that's when you need to get in that dense cover and it can't sustain at dense cover and I air quote that, if it's thin timber and being burned, it just won't because you get two to three years of growth and it looks great, but it's still vertical growth for the most part. There may be some shrubby type structure from a stump sprout or a, a sh- an actual shrub growing up, but you're missing that really dense, thick as a hair on a dog's back cover that happens with bedding cuts. And so for my guys that are anti-hinge cut, I'm speaking to you. I'm a brother from the South. I'll claim to be from the South for sure and in Southern Missouri. And so I'm speaking to you that you need to picture a little bit of a natural occurring tornado, heavy wind storm, heavy ice storm, Matt, you probably saw these in Virginia. We saw them. I could, there was a couple that happened. One of them was my junior or senior year of college. I think it was my senior year. My dad can tell you where he was when it happened because he was in our old family farmhouse built in 1952, and he thought it was going to blow over on him. Horrible straight line winds, a little micro tornado burst, and you could find little pockets, half-acre pockets, where it was almost like, touchdowns of tornado just dotted across the landscape and within those it was trees leveled and snapped off 10 foot high and it was just like my gosh as soon as those hit one of them Matt you know very well where it's at it's the Kingsville Ridge that we hunt and it's after that happened we saw a change from what used to be the best ridge for turkeys in the spring on any portion of the farm to being really good deer and depending on the year, okay turkeys because it got so thick. The deer loved it. Turkeys were a little, nah, we'll be here once every two weeks. Maybe you might catch us down here, but we're not going to be here every single day like we were pre-storm. And that ultimately taught me and made me realize, you know, little dense pockets of thick cover are pretty stinking awesome. But most importantly, 
there's not a huge difference between what that looked like and what looks like when I cut it, when I run a chainsaw in there. And it kind of made me start, okay. And thinking that maybe there really is a better place for hinge cutting. And then I noticed in burning through hinge cut areas versus just top flush cutting and running fire through the debris doesn't last with flush cutting and just burning it up. But with hinge cutting, it's up off the ground. It's still viable, still pushing nutrients. You can survive that. The hinge cuts can survive fire better than the flush cuts just because of the, 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 the degree or the height of the cut. And so, See, I think that, but then also sometimes too, that structure, like the way it holds some moisture too, and yeah. then doesn't have some stuff to grow in and around it during the growing season. It doesn't get nearly as hot in and around the base of that hinge cut because there's heavier yeah. shade in the growing season. So it's just leaves that are burning around it. Most no things, yeah. but when you mix in the flush cutting and that, or you're just doing flush cutting, it's more it's more of an even fire, I think, when you're just doing the flush cut situation but you incorporate those differences of structure types and cutting types, your fire response is going to be much different in those bending thickets. It's no more doubt. Pat- it's not an even burn. Therefore, that even the maintenance tool is further creating diversity within the bending thicket. Yeah. And so if, if I take a half acre and I say this is a bedding thicket, I don't necessarily want to send a screaming fire through there every two, three years to burn up a lot of the debris. I like the debris there. I like some brambles to be growing. I like a lot of sprouts to be in there. I want it to be so thick I don't enjoy walking through it because I'm not going to be tempted to walk through it. I want vines growing up on top of the canopies, like grapevines, like trellised up across it to further add food, but then to further add structure and cover in there that's residual like it's lasting yes no doubt and so like to me this is like i see it where in my opinion people get so close to really awesome but they just miss it so they get carried away with the hinge cutting and they carry it out across the entire 50 acres i'm just using that that same simple 50 acre woodlot that we talked about through this and say, well, you hinge cut the whole thing. Now we're back to the same boat. There's deer that bed in there, but I don't know which end they're bedding on or which acre they're on. But if you took that 50 acres and you cut in two bedding thickets, an acre apiece, and you left the other 48 acres to be TSI'd, now we have improved cover, but we still have designated bedding that is more preferred, easier to hunt, and is surrounded by cover that gives them the comfort to be able to stand up and move through that whole 50 acres during daylight hours and and be more susceptible to me in a tree stand. Yeah, I think I think someone, let's go say, is to go throw out the scenario. <clears throat> okay, well, I didn't TSI my whole place. I just recently bought a place that had been logged. What do I do? Like, let's say... Yeah. 40, 40 to 6% canopy opening. So a pretty come on collective harvest. On yeah. Log. I'm thinking that most people probably see a more aggressive TS, uh, a more aggressive logging cut go on um, depending on the area they bought. And they're like, Ooh, they hammered it pretty hard, but that's the way I got the ground so cheap. Exactly. I mean, that, that's yeah. a potential. So, so what would we suggest to them if they have their hands on a piece like that? Um, 
what's going to be able to further allow them to diversify because there's going to be tops everywhere. There's going to be structure, yep. going to be regeneration. Um, what, are, what are their next steps and roles? Pile of deer, but still not as huntable as they wish because it's everywhere they con- go, they bump into deer. It's consistent. It consistently has deer and it consistently has them everywhere, but not where you can and can't get like you, access just stinks. Yeah. And I think that's where I can think of an exact property that, that sounds so much like the, the prescription I wrote was do the bedding thickets, but we have flush cut trees and tops laying everywhere. And these areas aren't, the whole place is not as thick as it could be. So in these bedding thickets that we've identified based on terrain and location roads and all the other things that go into placement of bedding thickets, which we just covered a few podcasts ago, we're going to place those thickets and do more hinge cutting in those areas, in those bedding thicket pockets, than we are going to do flush cutting because flush cutting has occurred everywhere else. Hinge cutting has not occurred. So we're going to have better debris that's off the ground and we're going to continue burning. We're going to create off those skitter trails that went all through the place. We're going to improve them into fire breaks or trails or roads. And we're going to start burning this place up, use and prescribe fire to burn up the debris, encourage more native growth, more native vegetation to grow throughout the entire farm. So we get that comfort cover component. But we're also going to greatly improve our little bedding thickets by using hinge cutting and maybe even planting some other shrubs that we know because they have adequate sunlight can flourish in there and really get those dog hair thick cuts or bedding cuts and then everywhere else can be amazing summer and winter forage through um, native vegetation. And I think the other thing I would say to that is you find yourself in that scenario you 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 work you're working backwards because someone called me on this the other day a client and and basically was going to be he's closed canopy now waiting for a logging operations big timber but a small property so he's like i don't think that i'm going to essentially be able to get a logger to go as um delicate or or as um let's say meticulous throughout the property as you may have recommended like okay i get that well, if he's going to go 50% reduction throughout the whole thing, you're just starting, let's say, instead of, your, instead of starting from a closed canopy situation, you're starting from what, right, 50% canopy opening, but we still need to find that happy medium. So essentially, you're going to let those trees, those retention trees that weren't cut, kind of heal back and begin to fill those canopies up, right? So you just need some more time in between you going more aggressive. Those retention trees are going to continue to grow, expand their crowns. And in a few growing seasons, you'll see a change in the difference between the areas that have been logged. And then the areas that you have your bedding thickets that much more because you added cover, you continue to do your disturbance, but those retention trees where as you cut them in your bedding thicket, you left them in the other areas, they're casting more shade and filling those areas and now you're already back to your let's say your your light tsi section already um yep. in a matter of a couple of years because you just let those things grow. <clears throat> have some okay. stuff that you need to clean up but you're you're not working from a closed canopy situation 
you're jumping, you're leapfrogging way ahead. And now you're letting it kind of backfill a little bit. And that's okay. That's not a bad position to be in at all. You probably are working with really good understories, or at least the potential to be really good understories, um, where when you apply fire, you're going to have a pretty darn good response. So it's, it's not a bad situation to not be essentially starting with a closed canopy forest. Doesn't hurt my yeah. feelings at all. Doesn't hurt my feelings to start with a uh, closed canopy forest. Doesn't hurt my feelings to start with a heavily timbered forest. We have ways to address it to get us to the goals we want to reach. It's yeah. just knowing that whether we got to start with an axe or start with a drip torch. We're not literally starting with axes. This isn't 1940 um, crosscut saws. Grab that crosscut saw. Let's get to work. <laughs> We're going to do some hinge cuts with the crosscut. Oh, man. Video. Yeah. As long as I'm the one running the camera. Grab um, the buffalo plan. We're getting after it. Yeah. And, and that's really where this is my challenge, my call to action to the listeners, the landowners who are hearing this of going, know where you stand that acre, what the goal is. Is the goal improve habitat for the sake of feeding deer, improved habitat for the sake of growing deer like fawns? Is the goal improve habitat for the sake of creating bedding? Because so many times you run a chainsaw and you're like, oh, I'm going to improve the bedding. and But that's not helping your hunting strategy. You're basically like throwing fish in a lake and saying, well, there's more fish in the lake. I'm going to catch more fish. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. I mean, everyone knows, everyone knows when you're placing structure in a pond, like you do that in areas that you can cast, right? You do that in areas that are fishable. So you create this structure, this own or spawning areas too, yeah. Or or spawning because you're areas. trying to grow them, right? You're 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 trying to create these areas that spatially make sense for you to be successful, but for also the game species, the bass, to flourish. And so you're creating these tiny little micro environments in areas that make sense. And I feel like sometimes. Uh, as land managers, whitetail hunters, it's more of just knee-jerk reactions of, well, I know I should be running a chainsaw and I know I should be doing and putting some trees on the ground. Let's just go do it. That's not the best approach. You've got to be able to think your way through it and ask yourself those exact questions. What does this acre need to be? What should I be doing or how intense of a TSI should I be doing this in relation to the areas that I've already designated as bedding or the areas that have better mass producing trees. Think yeah. your way through this thing. The, the, the knee jerk reaction is, is ultimately watch a YouTube video or listen to a podcast and then get all amped up to go do it. And I'm almost like, this is humorous to me, but we have many clients who've never owned land have just bought ground and hired us to come and help them. And because we're thinking through where to put the bedding cuts, the order of procedure, the best return on their investment, beating time and money. And then I think of those guys, those clients we've had that have consumed outdoor habitat content for 20 years and have been working on their farm for 20 years. And then in the last three since hiring us, seeing bigger changes happen because they were thoughtful. They were thinking through everything they did. 
they had a, a plan of attack and they implemented it following the correct order of procedure. And that's what's almost humorous of going, man, have the plan and understand why each acre needs to be bedding, cover, comfort cover when I say that, food, whatever it may be. You don't want every single acre of your farm to be bedding. You don't want every single acre of your farm to be food. You don't want every single acre of your farm to be just this mosaic, and I say that a little bit hesitant because I know there's people like, well, that's exactly what I want my farm. But if you're a deer hunter, you want to tweak. Yes, I want every acre to provide some sort of food and some form of fashion for various types of wildlife. But I also need to think about increasing um, the density in certain pockets so I can define bedding, which, by the way, are pretty awesome fawning areas too right around the edges of those. They're also really good young forest pockets for rough grouse if you're in a region of the world that has those. Um, they're uh, pretty good rabbit places because of the amount of brambles that can come back into them. Um, they're pretty good woodcock places too, depending on if it's north slope or east slope. So each little bedding thicket has the potential to be beneficial to all types of wildlife. But so does the thin woodland next to it that you're burning. But I don't want that thin woodland to be like the hotel where all the deer sleep because, like I said earlier in this podcast, it gets very difficult to pattern the deer. And I think the other thing that people need to keep in mind, too, with this is, sure, with a chainsaw, you're doing a lot. You're, you're, you're doing a lot of the implementation side of things. And it sounds very similar from the TSI to the bedding thicket. Cause again, it's involving cutting trees, but you're doing it at different degrees and doing different cuts. Like we already talked about, but the other thing to keep in mind is the maintenance tool that you can apply to these given areas. Now that you've designated the fact that that's bedding, the fact that that's food or that's kind of comfort cover to, to transition them from bedding to these more open areas that they're going to feed heavier in. You also have the tool and the decision to make of how often you're putting fire on these areas that are going to further diversify the understory and shape and really designate or delineate the differences between one area and the next. On a map or in your brain, you may not be able to you know, functionally think about it and break it up, but when it comes to multiple years down the road after doing TSI and after several burns, um, you're going to be able to further, again, distinguish and see, wow, these areas really are off different things. But if you don't have experience doing that, it's really hard to imagine. But an area that's, that's let's say, on the same slope exposure, let's say you have a 50-acre slope and you divide it right in half and you do 50% uh, on um, – 50% thinning on one side, 25 acres and 50% on the other side, same slope exposure, but you burn them at different intervals over the course of, of 10 years, you're going to have different plant communities. You know, that same sunlight, same slope exposure, the fire return interval is going to continue to diversify things. So yes, initially up front, the cutting techniques, all those things are awesome, but you know, we've got other tools to, again, to, to further diversify what is occurring out there and make that property, that mosaic that you're kind of talking about. Yeah. I want it diverse. 
and I want the mosaic, but I don't. I want to have a little bit of thoughtfulness in in laying it out, so I have varying pockets and varying density of sunlight and debris on the ground, so it helps the wildlife and it, uh, as well as improve the hunting strategy. And this isn't the podcast for people that are just want to have wildlife and listen to us uh, that are like because they're natural resource diversity guys. This is a hunting hunting type mindset but at the same time even if i was managing just four birds or just four insects i would cut in blocks of clear i would clear cut blocks in the timber to create young forest pockets so we'll do the same thing but in this scenario we're doing a little hinge cuts because we want them to be more productive for deer bedding right right and and uh, we're not hinge cutting oaks i should i should stress that it's not like we go in there and we take a bunch of 16 inch wide oak and we hinge cut it over I do not advocate for that. What I would rather see is pick in a block because it's a the terrain feature and road feature and tweak it based on, oh, okay, I want to cut a bunch of softwood trees and junky oaks down and create it there rather than cutting some really good timber for the sake of deer habitat or for the sake of deer bedding. It was a perfect scenario today. Walked through an area. I was like, okay, somewhere on this slope, we've got to have a bedding thing. It just screams it. And that, that from air access, we have to have it. Well, the first place we went to, um, much larger post oaks, um, some blackjacks, it kind of had that old savanna feel as you look up into the canopy, the the bigger trees there. I was like, I don't really know, man, not right here. I'm, I'm not loving it. Let's get farther into the property, off the property line. We go another 200 yards deeper into the place. And sure enough, there it is. Perfect. You get out of those larger trees, you get into thinner trees, stuff that stuff that have been logged more recently, um, much lower quality timber, higher stem count. So it's going to involve more more cutting or the use of some hack and squirt or some girdling just so that it's a management of the debris load. But we're not cutting giant producing like oak trees to accomplish this thing. It's very much your six to 12 inch DBH type trees. And it's like, well, perfect. We have the same slope exposure, the same, the same bench. We're just further down the ridge and we're not, you know, destroying quality mass producing trees to accomplish this. This is exactly what we need right in the center of the farm. Let's do it. No doubt. Yep. And I think that's where, um, just a good wrap up of, of the goals with that. We don't hate hinge cutting and we don't hate flush cutting and we don't hate hack and squirt. We don't hate girdle and spraying which seems to be the argument many people make for you need to use this. Well, you need to use all of them. You don't you know what's good for you. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's unwise to, to pick one and then just like carry the torch for that one technique because yeah. you're on three or four other ones that at some time you're going to encounter a, a timber stand, a situation where it's more preferred, where it's a better scenario to accomplish that with that other tool. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's really, um, man, that's that's the wrap-up. Guys, I hope you consider this when going in it, because I know there's a lot of guys cutting embedding thickets this year. And we haven't even highlighted the successful clients that have amazing stories that we have to get on the, on the podcast, because December hit us like a whirlwind with all kinds of different things and um, uh, different different uh, things in our, in our uh, 
home lives. So it's like, man, uh, one of these days getting the scheduling to where we can talk to these people and highlight their success is going to be crucial. Then you'll really get fired up for implementing land and legacy type mindset plans. And um, up until then, what'd you say? There's some sweet stories to share from this past season. Yeah. Yeah, I know. um, It's, it's, uh, it was a great fall for land and legacy clients. It was a great fall for us. Um, and, uh, guys, we, we appreciate you listening each and every week. And until then, we'll see you next time. Yeah.